Hello, welcome to Irish History Walks. My name is Patrick Walsh, I live in Ireland, more specifically Wicklow. And in this series of podcasts, I'll be exploring the history of Wicklow and wherever else is within driving distance and not too far away. So Dublin, Wexford, Kildare. I'll be exploring some of our lesser known history that could be hidden right on your doorstep. In this podcast, I'm going to explore the Avoca mines in Wicklow. Once again, before we start, I'd like to point out that I am not a historian, so this podcast should not be used as an academic reference. Whilst I strive to make my podcasts as historically accurate as possible, the making of this podcast is as much a learning process for me as it is anybody else. So get in touch if I get anything wrong. On the banks of the River Avoca, between the meetings of the waters and the village of Avoca, lie the Avoca Mines. When Claudius Ptolemy, the Roman geographer, mapped Ireland in 150 AD, he marked Avoca on his map, suggesting that the Romans perhaps knew of the Wicklow War, although it's entirely possible he just misidentified the River Liffey. I like the first theory. It wasn't until 1720, though, that reliable reports of mining began, and over the years, local and international businessmen mined Avoca for copper, lead, sulphur, and other minerals, even small amounts of gold. Sulphur extracted from pyrite, or fool's gold as I like to call it, whilst considered a secondary product to the extraction of copper, was at times very profitable, both as a vital component in munitions manufacture and as a key ingredient in the manufacture of fertiliser. I could talk about the history of the Avoca mines for an hour or more. There is so much information out there, far too much to fit into my little podcast. So I'm going to focus on my trip out to the mines so I can share my experience with you and provide a sort of brief overview of everything there is to see, if that makes sense. Parking at Avoca is a bit of a nuisance, I won't lie. But the easiest place to start would be at the Motty Stone, where there is a designated car park. Of sorts. <laughs> the Motty Stone is a huge granite boulder, weighing about 150 tonnes, which is incredible. That would make it heavier than two modern main battle tanks. Perched on top of the Cronebane Ridge, the stone is a well-known local landmark, and has helped travellers navigate the land for thousands of years. Carried nearly 13 kilometres from Glenmalore by glacier 10,000 years ago during the Ice Age, the stone provides wonderful scenic views. There is even an iron ladder embedded into the rock, allowing you to climb up onto it. It is said that the five counties surrounding Wicklow can be viewed from the rock on a clear day, whilst in very good weather, the mountains of Wales can be spotted across the Irish Sea. It was a bit cloudy when I visited, and to be honest, I chickened out of climbing right onto it. I'm a bit too stiff and unbalanced now. God, I remember I used to shoot up onto it when I was a kid. I did see three red kites, though, elegantly scouring the heather for prey. Okay, the Motty Stone and the mines aren't related, sure, but who cares? It's cool as hell, and to be fair, I am using its car park. Gotta pay my respects, you know? From the Motty Stone we get our first glimpse of the Avoca Mines. The area is surrounded by a high chain-link fence 
with all sorts of scary looking warning signs on. Keep out or else. Rising up is Mount Platt, a giant man-made mountain comprised of reddy brown and yellow spoil. Looking at this giant spoil heap, you would think initially that the miners here must have literally hollowed out the mountain. Huge stopes, underground caverns, conjuring up Lords of the Rings-like imagery. The mines of Moria. They exist after all. The reality is less glamorous. Mount Platt lies adjacent to the Crone Bane open pit, excavated during the 1970s. It's an impressive site, especially when you consider large portions of it have been backfilled. Whilst digging away using excavators and scrapers in order to get at the copper, obviously all that waste rock had to go somewhere, so they just dumped it in a big pile where it was most convenient, and Mount Platt was born. There is another open pit, the east of Oka Pit to the south of Mount Platt, but unfortunately it's out of view, and there is no way of taking a peek, not without tramping through the undergrowth whilst trespassing on private property. Perched on the side of the Cronebane pit, looking through the fence, the area might just look like one big quarry. Underneath my feet, however, the ground is like one giant piece of Swiss cheese. There are over 20 mine portals and shafts, providing access to miles of adits leading to copper ore bodies. To be fair, many of those tunnels would have been backfilled at the time, once they'd served their purpose, others destroyed in latter years by modern mining, but even so, I'm sure plenty still remain. Just to recap, if you check out one of my previous podcasts on the Glen Malore Mines, I talk about stopes and adits. A stope is basically a huge man-made underground cavern, left behind after extracting ore, and an adit is essentially a mine tunnel. I'm so used to talking mining language now, that I forget that some of you folks might be new to this. Apologies. Right, Back to Avoca. I did try and walk around the mine workings. Following the fence around in both directions led me to dead ends. Looking down at the Chrome Bane pit through the high fencing, I couldn't help but feel a sense of disappointment. There is so much to see here, and yet I'm restricted to a single limited view of one of Ireland's most important historical locations. I understand that the open pits are unsafe, really I do. There are numerous dangers present, potential landslides, hanging walls, falling rocks, not to mention elevated levels of toxic metals in areas and acidic standing water. But I would have loved to have seen the site from a few other vantage points. Maybe there ought to be a path around the perimeter, a few info boards. Is that really too much to ask? What a missed opportunity. The trip could have ended here in disaster my expectations crushed, my research, the printed maps I brought with me, scattered in the wind. Step in, the west of Oka mine site, and the spoil heaps on Ballymurta Hill, a historical treasure trove waiting to be explored. Before I drove over there though, there were a few interesting sites to spot from the road. North of the Motty Stone are the Connery Mines, active during the 1800s. The Connery engine house chimney can be seen not far from the road. Typically, this would have held a steam engine used to pump water from the mine. Once again, I would have liked to have had a closer look, but unfortunately, it was on private land. There were also a couple of grumpy-looking goats staring back at me through the fence. 
it would be just my luck to get chased out of the field by them, probably whilst an onlooker filmed it on their phone. Driving to the Ballymurta mine from the Motty Stone, there are a few interesting historical sites that are worth checking out. At the southern edge of the East of Oka mine site, not far from the river, perched precariously on the side of the valley, is the Williams Engine House. The Williams shaft was used to pump water from the six mining levels meeting it, and was constructed in the mid-19th century. The engine for this house was built in the Perrin Foundry in Cornwall around 1860 for Williams & Co, who had acquired the lease for the Tigroni Cronebane Mines in 1832. The engine was subsequently sold back to Cornwall in 1881, when the mines were eventually closed. Directly below the engine house, hidden by a grassy bank, is the 850 Adit. It's the only 20th century underground mine on the east of Oka site, and was blasted by St. Patrick's Copper Mine Limited from late 1959 to 62. The portal to the mine isn't visible from the road, but the ore bins can still be seen and have been restored recently. The ore bins were used to temporarily store copper ore from the 850 Adit before being loaded onto trucks where it would be taken to be crushed. The bulk of the ore extracted at Avoca was at the West Avoca mine site. The reason being, work here began in 1955 and ended in 1982. That might be a long time ago for mere mortals like us. However, in the scheme of things, that wasn't really that long ago. In my last podcast, I was talking about Neolithic tombs. Here, mechanised mining took place, which allowed St. Patrick's Copper Mines Limited to extract ore either from underground workings or from open pits in a quantity that would have been unimaginable in the 1800s. Today, there isn't really much to see. The open workings above ground were used as landfill and have now been revegetated, or they were filled with tailings. Tailings is specifically waste material left over having separated the desired metals from the rock via chemical means. It has a sandy, gritty-like consistency. After having had a nose around, I decided to head on up to Ballymurta Hill, where there are still spoil heaps, mine workings and engine houses visible. Just a word of warning, the drive up to the Ballymurta spoil heaps were very windy, and the last one kilometre or so, really, you don't want to take on, unless you have a 4x4 of some sort, and God forbid you meet another car coming back down. It might be a good idea to walk up from the main road, if you're up for it. You do get an amazing view travelling up to the mines. You can actually see the 850 Adit and the Williams Engine House on the other side of the valley, both of them little models that you almost feel like you can reach out and touch. Once you ascend to the summit of the hill, you are greeted by these amazing sandy red coloured heaps dotted with young Scots pine that have these really cool tiny little pine cones on them. Whilst walking around, you feel like you are teleported to the Yellowstone National Park, or Canada maybe. I don't know. I haven't actually been to either of those places, but you know what I'm getting at. There aren't any warning signs anywhere telling you to keep out, but that's probably only because the state doesn't expect anybody to be here. There are some steep drops in places, Perhaps mine shafts. And you don't want to go climbing onto any potentially unstable piles of rock. 
it's a really cool area to visit, but I would advise against bringing children to the site, and dogs also. Seriously. Although the lack of vegetation makes the whole site look like it hasn't been here that long, in fact, most of the spoil here was deposited in the 1800s from the old Ballygan mine. Just a quick overview of the workings here. In 1850, a huge quantity of Gossen was discovered and mined here at the surface at the North Lode Pit, just to the north of the spoil heaps. Gossen is a ferrous rock full of iron oxides. It exists at this location because it sits on top of a huge body of pyrite ore, very much like the icing on a cake. Where the pyrite ore is exposed to the elements, the sulphur within causes iron in the rock to oxidise and Gossen is formed. Once all of the Gossen was mined at the surface, being highly valuable, the Wicklow Copper Mining Company decided it was then time to tunnel into the ground in order to get at all of that pyrite that the Gossen capped. Sciency stuff out of the way, this sandy desert-like place I'm gazing at would have been the dressing area, where ore would have been sorted by hand, separated from waste materials referred to as dead rock. The ore would have been cleaned of any grit and dirt, and then crushed down into smaller pieces by being dropped down through rollers in some sort of crushing house. After being crushed, the rock was sent to a hotching tub. A hotching tub is essentially a large sieve, a wooden box submerged in a tub of water with a series of meshes separating the crushed ore. The purest and heaviest ore settled on the bottom against the bottom sieve. Larger fragments, containing pieces of ore, the next sieve above, and the uppermost layer consisted of pieces of stone and gange materials, so waste basically, unwanted rock. The top layer was skimmed off and thrown away, the middle layer went for further crushing, and the bottom layer went to the smelting mill. Let's spare a thought for the poor sods operating the hotching tub. To shake the sieve, a youth literally had to hold a long lever whilst jumping up and down vigorously. Can you imagine what a terrible job that must have been? I can feel my own knees creaking right now just thinking about it. By the 1820s, there were mechanical means of carrying out this work, thank God. The crusher would have been water-powered, for example. I'm presuming the ore was sorted and dressed this way at Avoca? It was standard practice at the time, though, and it would certainly explain where all of this spoil came from. Walking around the spoil heaps, I immediately saw what looked like a perfectly square wooden box rested on the ground. No way, I thought. That can't be a mineshaft. I started to walk towards the object with apprehension, my pulse elevated slightly. There's no fencing or signage anywhere. It is! Wheel and shaft, it's called. Peering in, I noticed immediately that it had been capped off. I felt this strange combination of disappointment and relief. I don't think I'll jump up and down on it anytime soon, that's for sure. The wheel and shaft must drop straight down to meet the underground adits of the Ballygahan mine. Not far from the shaft is the Ballygahan engine house. I couldn't get too close to it, even though it was tantalisingly close. Truth be told, I didn't fancy pushing through the brush and undergrowth. Not with steep falls all around, who knows what dangers may be hiding amongst the bushes. The engine house isn't near a known mineshaft or underground workings even, so what was the engine house doing there, and what was it for? 
There is a narrow channel to the east of the house, so it's possible there was a flat rod system in place. So basically, the steam engine housed here would have been connected to moving rods that extended to a shaft that no longer exists, some distance away. And the rods would have been connected to some sort of pump or possibly moving platforms acting as a sort of unusual lift for the workers. One of the coolest features in this area though is the tramway arch and engine house stack in the distance. When the mine first went into operation, all would have been transported to Arklo by locals with their horse and carts. This proved problematic during the harvest period. Everyone needed their wagons when they were working in the fields and constant negotiating with folks over transportation fees must have been a bummer for the Wicklow Copper Mining Company. Henry Hodgson, owner of the Ballymurta mines at the time, needed a solution, so he decided to build a tramway all the way to Arklow Harbour, and the tram line was completed in 1846. Perfect timing for Henry Hodgson, as the Great Famine of 1845-52 to reduced the availability of both drivers and horse-drawn transport. Absolutely chilling, isn't it? A horrible thought. The fact that the tramway has its own engine house means that the ore carts must have been cable drawn. Impressive. It must be over 10 kilometers to Arklow or thereabouts. That's it, the end of my fifth podcast. There is so much more to talk about, so maybe I'll do a part two one day. Just before I finish up though, I would like to make a few key points that I think are necessary, so bear with me. I have to say, the ruined mine workings at Avoca as of 2024, the release of this podcast, are in a very sorry state indeed. Certainly those I was actually able to visit. More needs to be done to preserve them, because in my opinion, the Avoca mines are so important from both a historical and cultural perspective. Some of the engine houses are remarkably intact and are some of the last remaining examples of their type, and yet it seems they are being left to rot. At one time, the mines employed over 2,000 people. Even post-mechanisation, it was still well over 300. If I talked to anyone from my local area old enough to have worked in the mines, if they hadn't personally, they knew somebody who did. For some, mining has been in their family for generations. I even found out whilst making this podcast that my mother's uncle had. Finally, there is another reason why it's so important to preserve what is left. As passionate as I am learning about mining, this particular podcast has been a real journey for me. We mustn't forget the scar that the mines have left on the landscape and the environmental damage that is still being done today. In the 1970s, the environment wasn't a consideration and many of the mining practices that took place at Avoca would not be legal today. Even right now as I speak, Acidic water from the mines is being discharged into the river of Oka, rendering it void of all aquatic life downstream of the site. Efforts have been made to reduce the harmful legacy mining has left here on the landscape, so credit where it's due. I actually think the government have done a really good job of repairing the landscape above ground, but it's not enough. The very worst thing we can do is just bulldoze the mines into the ground and forget what happened here. Funny, I told myself I'd avoid politics when making this podcast, 
But truth be told, I have realised that the history of the minds and political controversy are entwined. They are inseparable. And that's the way it will always be. That brings to an end my fifth podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Bit of a dark end to this episode, I know, but it's all good crack. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Patrick Walsh. I also provided the musical score, took care of mixing and so on. But shout out to Pixabay Sounds and Sound Bible, Mike Koenig and so on, for all the stock sound effects. I also want to thank Rob Goodbody, Vincent Gallagher and Pat O'Connor for the research that they've done into the Evoker Minds. I found it more than useful when making this podcast. <laughs>